Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation Podcasts. In this episode, we will be discussing building trust-based schools and a different type of education system. I'm delighted to welcome Babette Lockerfeer, founder of Theory Why, helping leaders and teams on their journey to more trust-based organizations. Babette, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susie. And I'm so delighted to be here. And thank you for putting all your energy and effort into uh, <laughs> sharing these great stories that you have been sharing with other guests, uh, with us and the, the wider world. Thank you. It's great, to, it's great to have you on the show. Theory Why is founded on a belief that work can and indeed should be more meaningful, enjoyable and positively impactful than is currently the case for many people. And I think particularly after COVID. And it's a quest we share, this quest to make organisational culture based on courage and curiosity as opposed to fear, mainly to unlock the potential of leaders, but also to build more trust-based structures for systemic change where organisations and leaders trust their people to do the right thing and to deliver on, on their accountability. I mean, this subject is clearly important. So as we know, and you know, the studies back it up with the significant impact of teaching empathy early on in schools and essentially equipping children with what I call life skills, irrespective of where they grow up, what they do, what they decide to do. But if we look at the World Economic Forum Future of Jobs reports and the need for more regenerative and trust-based models, then, you know, we could start asking ourselves, well, why haven't we done this earlier? <laughs> and uh, it's a famous question. And I know that it does exist in, in some countries, but I love the project that you're currently setting up to build a trust-based school. And I wanted to start there. Can you tell us more about it and what inspired you to do that? Yeah, certainly. So uh, thanks for the introduction. And I think this is indeed, if people that are listening truly think about it, they themselves will answer those questions with, yes, of course, that's important. And mm -hmm. uh, I also feel that that's the case. But somehow, as, as a collective, we uh, we haven't gotten there. Yeah, um, interesting. But yeah. Mm -hmm. But I will definitely uh, start with, with where the inspiration came from. And that's always an interesting question to me because it's, of course, a, a very common question, right? Oh, how, how did you get inspired? And to be very honest, all my change journeys have always started with frustration rather than inspiration. <laughs> it's normal. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, th that's how it went with, uh, with starting my own company, Theory Y. Uh, that was really um, coming from the frustration of being on a general management track in the big corporates. And that's, that has been the same uh, with starting this, uh, this project of, of a trust-based school. So we have two little boys and uh, we started out on our journey figuring out, okay, which primary school we think is, is the best space for him. And I got so frustrated with all the places that I visited, not necessarily because they were bad schools or bad teachers or mm. awful environments. No, but it was more about, I would say, like, you on humanity or on mm. humankind or on kids that mm. that was below the things they did it was not very outspoken but it was truly forcing kids to like go through a certain mold and then I came back home and I looked at my own kids um, and then I was like okay these are authentic human beings they are self-motivated to learn to develop mm. uh, I don't need to like push them to uh, to play and develop themselves and what we would be doing is to put them in a system that kind of takes this away from them and mm -hmm. uh, teaches them to follow authority uh, of a teacher or of a principal or whoever to basically learn or be taught the same things 
as the rest of their peer group, yeah. although they are not the same kids. And this yeah. is not because I have special kids. It's just <laughs> because that's the nature of, of humans that I truly believe is that they are self-motivated. They are authentic. They want to grow and learn. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to do that much, actually, to ensure that that happens. Yeah, but it's more about creating a space, that. isn't it? Yes. It is. And, mm. and that's not what, uh, what our standard school system is about. Mm. It's mm. Um, mostly around forcing and controlling. And of course, this is, this is done in subtle ways, right? It's not like, like in the old days that we have to like sit straight and be silent mm. all day. No, mm. we have a lot of like play-based uh, forms uh, around the, the subjects that are being taught. But still, it's a mold and every kid has to go through the same mold and basically comes out at the other end, Mm. uh, having unlearned the things that they naturally have. Yeah, it's a formatting, isn't it? They format them into convergent thinking as opposed to divergent thinking. Exactly, exactly. And the interesting thing is that that with my work with Theory Y, I spent (laughs) so much time in organizations to actually bring people back to their original nature, namely to be authentic, to be Mm. self-motivated, to be creative. And it seems like I have to kind of like teach them that. But in essence, I just have to undo what has been done through the system. Yeah, you're you're helping them to unlearn and relearn. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's why I really, really didn't have the heart to to put my own kids (laughs) through that same system where I think they come out in a way that's that's not benefiting them and it's also not benefiting our future society mm. maybe it's benefiting our current society with yes. like our current economic structures and all of that but i don't think it's benefiting the society that we actually need to have or, or the world is it i mean or i'm a big yeah. i'm a big uh, fan of uh, dave snowden's kinevin model which talks about the predictable and the unpredictable and i feel that education in general business schools all levels of education formatters and helpers deal with the predictable and of yes. course we know now that yes. the world is becoming more and more sort of VUCA or unpredictable yeah. or however you decide to discuss it so I like yeah. the idea of equipping them for the future they're going to create yeah hopefully yeah yeah and and that's obviously after the frustration then comes inspiration right because then you start looking for alternatives and mm. um then we encountered uh, a school. Uh, there's a couple of schools in the Netherlands. It's not, not just one that are already doing things differently. But one of them, it's called the school. In Dutch, it means the school. Um, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> actually, yeah. And they have actually created the system within the public system. So it's not some kind of like elitist uh, school yes. that really focuses on what kids need, what individual kids need. Mm. And that has become such an inspiration for us. And then, of course, uh, people ask me, yeah, but why didn't you just move to that place and put your kids in that school? <laughs> Fair question. <laughs> Fair question. But somehow this, this whole idea or this whole frustration about the, the state of our, our school system just meant that I, I kept on thinking, I think I have the right capabilities and the right drive at this yeah. moment in time to, to help make this movement bigger. Right? Mm. Instead of just putting my kids in, in a school that's doing well, but uh, it's still one school, why don't we try to make this bigger so that we can actually have a yeah, more meaningful uh, impact on positive change in the world? So that is mm. why I decided to venture out and start my own trust-based school based on, on this, uh, this example of mm. this whole. 
And it's it's fabulous. And and I know that the school that you're basing your research, aren't you, on that school, the school, and their slogan is, we were chatting before and you were telling me that their slogan is, we need an equal education for equal opportunities. Yeah. Which for me is a very powerful statement. What, what does that mean for you? And why is it important in what you're trying to build? Yeah, so a little bit of a history lesson yeah. here, maybe. <laughs> so in the Netherlands, and I think this is very similar in other Western countries, but in the Netherlands, we have education legislation since like the 1900s. Mm-hmm. And originally... This was because there was a lot of kids that weren't receiving any education, right? Because they had to play, uh, they had to work on the land, uh, mm. they had to help their their parents. Uh, so they said, okay, we we have this legislation, and then we also require a minimum of 960 hours of education per child per year. So this was with good intention to have equal opportunity for all kids mm. because mm. they would all receive education. Interestingly enough, when I started to dive into this topic. I figured out that there has been research done uh, basically asking a lot of questions around like why do we do certain things in our Dutch education system? Mm -hmm. And I assumed and I know a lot of people around me assume that our system has been based on thorough research. Maybe Mm -hmm. it has been old research like from the 1900s, but at least some research, right? What I found out is that uh, as those researchers from the book put it, our education system is based on historical coincidences. It's not even based on okay. historic, on uh, on any scientific research that might have become outdated. It's just historical coincidences that were basically put together to have a system in place that was manageable for the government to make sure that all kids could go to school. So it was more built around like bureaucratic efficiency mm-hmm. than it was built around child development. And when I read that, I was like, okay, I really, really need to continue with this project. <laughs> so that was further to... inspiration for you, was yeah, it? Yeah, that was even further inspiration. <laughs> and then uh, coming back to the statement of mm. uh, unequal education for equal opportunity, this comes back to the fact that we assume in our system that when a kid turns four, that's the age that they have to go to school in the Netherlands, mm. they are at exactly the same point. Then we put them through the exact same system for eight years Mm. and then at the end of that eight years they will turn out equal Mm -hmm. then they have received the the right treatment to become equal so this has led to a one-size-fits-all model that's actually a one-size-fits-not-no-one-really model right (laughs) yeah i like that yeah it's it's that's Mm. what it is and Mm. that's just not reality we know that every person is different Mm. and therefore they should all receive a different treatment in order to then at the end of the journey have equal opportunity Mm. and this treatment you can you can look at that treatment on different levels and that's also what you need to do because otherwise you will continue to create inequality even Mm. with a publicly financed education system where teachers are doing their best to provide equal opportunity to all the kids. But it's just the system is just not working that way. And that's why you need to change the system. Mm. And I think we miss potential like that, don't we? I mean, we talk about it a lot in organizations. We'll come to that later. But even at this early stage, we're missing potential because really we're only basing it on cognitive intelligence, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, that's still the main measure that schools are being uh, tested or or measured on. 
is uh, what are the throughput numbers to which level of secondary education? And you need, like the, the best schools are the schools that achieve throughput numbers towards the highest level, like basically preparing uh, students for university. Mm. Those are considered to be the best schools. Yeah. But that's that's just not a realistic way of looking at the world and also not a realistic way of of indeed talking about human potential or no. development. No, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's not because of the digital era, but it's thanks to what digital is enabling that we're now pivoting on that thinking, oh, we need to understand more about what makes us human because that's what's going to keep us relevant yes. in, in a digital age. And so for me, this is one of the opportunities that comes from that is opening this discussion. Yes, in organizations, we both deal with that every day, but yeah. that's the that's the result, isn't it, of what we're discussing here? which exactly. is, you know, how you cultivate the emotional intelligence and the emotional level of what's going on or not. Yeah. How does it fit with what you're seeing and supporting in organizations? My belief is that this, this school system that's created is actually an exact copy of what I'm trying to achieve in organizations. <laughs> mm. And that's why I'm so fascinated by it, because it's just like a seamless journey almost from like being a little kid into uh, being yeah a professional that works in an environment that he enjoys and that he can actually bring value to mm. instead of it being an interrupted journey where where you are basically on your way until age four then you are interrupted because you have to go into a system and then somewhere at a certain age you come out and you you just you realize like okay this, this life that I'm living or this work that I'm doing is just not fitting with what I want to be doing. It mm-hmm. just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that point arrives when they're in their 20s, sometimes in their 30s and sometimes in their 40s or maybe never. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that is, uh, that's the point in time when I, when I start interacting with those people, right? But this school is, is just, yeah, it's just really enabling kids to continue that journey and to, to basically build even stronger skills when they're young and to get to know themselves even better. So that's basically at the end of the journey when they, they enter organizational life it's not really a topic anymore. It's just their second nature. Yeah. And there's no destination, is there? It's always a journey. Human yes. human existence, humanity is a messy, full of messy problems. <laughs> but, but, but it, you, you know, and it's, it's just an ongoing journey. I think I learn every day. And I think that's what's great about, you know, understanding the different fields that are open to us in terms of cognition or emotions or, yeah. or the, you know, neuroscience and things like that. Yeah. But if I come back to your school, so it's based on, educating kids on their individual needs so how does that work on two levels one as a system in that school yeah. and two as a, as an educational system I mean how would you scale yeah. that type of approach yeah fair question so uh, I mentioned before that that this is a publicly financed school mm. so in the Netherlands I would say 99% of, of all primary schools are uh, publicly financed so it's mm-hmm. very rare to have uh, a private school And what I like about this approach is that they have been able to find ways within the system, uh, sometimes as part of a pilot, but to find ways that to make a change, to make a difference, right? So what they did is they actually based their approach on three important pillars. First one is about the education method itself, Mm -hmm. which is called development-based learning. 
The second one is about decision-making. So they have a sociocratic decision-making system. And thirdly, it's around flexible opening times of the the school itself. So development-based learning is actually, it's a philosophy. It's coined by a developmental psychologist called uh, Vygotsky. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a Russian uh, guy. Mm -hmm. And what he has done is he has drawn up very detailed and specific uh, stages of child development across a wide area of subjects. Mm. So he says you can have a certain development trajectory in uh, math or in language or in emotional development or in social development. So he has taken a wide area of subjects and that he has basically cut up in very small stages. And the idea is that every child moves through these different stages at their own pace. They may be at a very different level in different subjects. So they may be Mm -hmm. like in a much more advanced level in math than they might be in social development, Mm -hmm. for example. Kids learn in a way that if they get exposed to inputs that stems from the so-called zone of next development, which is the phase that follows up the phase that the kid has just mastered, then they will learn. So the, the role of a teacher is basically to make sure that each kid has the right input for their specific zone of next development. So the teacher has to observe, do a lot of observation, okay, which kid is in which stage. Okay. And then I provide input and input doesn't always have to be, I teach a lesson. Yes. It can just be, I put out a certain book or I ask the kids to look up a certain, uh, a certain topic or what, it can be so many different mm. things. It, it's definitely not just focused on, oh, I as a teacher am going to teach the kids something, yeah. something now. It's just it, input. It's interesting though, Babette. I'm, it's making me think of teacher as coach. You know, we talk yes. about leader as yes. coach, but it is. It's a, it's a completely yeah. different posture, isn't it? It's, it is. It's about Very different. holding a space for them to learn. And sometimes it does involve for a teacher to instruct something, right? Yes. It, that yes. could involve it, uh, could involve part of that, but it's much broader than that. Mm. So that means that each kid follows their own trajectory mm. and they are never failing, right? They just follow their own trajectory. And of course, it can happen that a child stalls in a certain uh, zone. And then it's the job of the teacher to investigate, okay, what's the reason? Maybe they have like, do they have the right inputs? Maybe they have, they need a different way of explanation. Mm. Uh, maybe their self-confidence has taken a hit. You know, all kinds of different reasons could be underlying why a kid is not moving to their next zone. Maybe they are, they are actually, uh, they actually have learning difficulties because they are neurodivergent, right? Yeah. They, they need just yeah. different ways. Mm. Could all be true, but it still doesn't mean that the kid is weak or bad or really? stupid mm. or no, it just means that that kid needs a different type of input for their next zone of development. And as I already mentioned, this is not only focused on cognitive development. This is focused on the whole child. Yeah, I, so li- I then, really like the holistic thing. Yes. You know, the holistic thing of I'll take a human being and have a look at his at or her them. potential. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And not just at their at their brain, brain. or maybe <laughs> even the left part of their brain, right? It's yeah. Like, yeah. So that, that's the way they look at uh, education as such. And the way they structure that is that every 10 weeks they have a new theme mm-hmm. and all the courses or subjects are basically connected to a certain theme. Mm. So a kid is never learning about a subject in isolation. They're always learning about a subject in a certain theme because it's their belief that that inspires kids to want to learn more. Right? Yeah. If, if the theme is, for example, dinosaurs, 
then they are much more interested to learn about, oh, let's count the dinosaurs or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Then, uh, then if you say, oh, yeah, we're just we're, we're now going to do a counting lesson. Yeah. So that's that's the way it's uh, being structured. And the second important pillar of that system is a sociocracy, so mm. a decision making system. And basically, sociocratic system, and it's very interesting interesting because this is also the system that I'm using with many organizations. Yes, I was just going to uh, say. Yeah, yeah, basically moving towards a sociocratic system, or sometimes it's called holacracy. Uh, or teal, or, yeah. Exactly. So there's yeah. different names for a similar thing. Mm. But basically, the essence is that the person that's affected by the decision also needs to have a say in the decision. And in this school, that means that each kid every 10 weeks is going to sit down with uh, the te their teacher and also their parents mm -hmm. to decide on what have I learned? What do I want to learn? So basically talking about their, uh, their zones of next development. Mm -hmm. How do I want to learn that? What's the best way for me to learn? When do I want to learn? And how do I want this to be tested? So they have a lot of say as to how, what, when mm. uh, they learn, which which leads to a much higher motivation to continue learning because they can say, okay, I don't like uh, group instruction. Mm. It just doesn't work for me. And then the teacher can say, okay, so what, what else can we do? Or maybe the teacher says, I know you don't like it, but we think it's good for you because yeah. X, Y, and Z to actually do it that way. Let's mm. let's try that, right? But the kid has a say in that. And this is basically uh, the, the kind of the lowest level at which uh, shared decision-making happens in the school because then you also have the same system at like a, a grade level, mm -hmm. uh, but also at a teacher level. And that's what, what's also an important part of this school. And that's why I call it a trust-based school mm -hmm. is that also the teachers have a say in uh, the things that, that they are responsible for and th that they have uh, experience about. Okay. Because what often happens mm -hmm. in normal school is that basically the uh, principal decides on teaching methods, teaching yeah. uh, time, curriculum. And, yeah. curriculum. <laughs> but the teachers are the experts in education and they have the kids, they see their kids in their class every day. Mm. So they should be able to, to say, okay, I think this is what works for this person or this, this is what works for this group. And how can a principal say that, right? That's, that's just mm. not possible. And that's, that's part of trust-based organizations yeah. as well to basically put the decision-making power with the people that have the expertise. So it makes the job of a teacher, I think nice. Well, I would say nicer than it's currently in, in uh, like regular mm. uh, schools, but actually it's just making the job of a teacher, the job that it needs to be, yeah. right? They, they have been educated to educate kids and mm. that's what they should be doing. And they shouldn't mm. just follow some kind of textbook and yeah, that just doesn't make any sense. It makes them very unhappy as well. Yeah. So I think that's a very uh, strong plus as well. And just for, for people that are not so familiar with sociocracy, the, difference between what we know as like the normal way of decision making like democracy mm. is that there's a distinction between a consent and consensus mm. so in a democratic system we use consensus which is the majority has to basically have full agreement and in socio sociocracy we say we have consent uh, which means that there doesn't need to be a full agreement but everyone that has that's impacted by a decision needs to say that they have no objections. And an objection means ability to work towards the aims of that group mm. or organizations. Mm. So they basically say, okay, it's good enough for now. It's safe enough to try. 
and we can move forward. Mm. And we have a continuous conversation about that. So if at one point in time it becomes dangerous for someone in the group, then that person has the option to voice that concern. Mm. So this drives equality because, Mm. first of all, each individual has a say in decisions that are important to them, but also it allows uh, for minority voices to be heard, right? And that's very often difficult in democratic systems because there it's the majority that's being listened And it's hard, isn't it? Because I think group wisdom often lies in minority voices or silent voices that we never hear from. And I see it in organisations like you do. It takes longer, doesn't it, to to make collective decisions. And clearly it's harder to measure or to put a sort of more binary thing on this is right, this is wrong, this is what we're doing, this is what we're not doing. How did the school manage that? Because when I was asking before about scaling, yeah, you know, particularly in organisations, but in education too, the curriculums are so full yeah. that they're, you know, it's very time bound and it's very left brain in terms of how yeah. it's structured. So, you know, how do they go about scaling that type of activity? Yeah, so uh, specifically to your point of like the curriculums are so full and there yeah. is actually too little time. That's the third pillar that uh, that's very uh, important to their uh, to their approach, where they say we have uh, flexible opening times. So they have uh, created a system where the school is open five days a week between eight in the morning and six in the afternoon, where kids can decide together with the parents and the teachers. And it is upfront, so it's not like on the day itself, I decide when I come. But kids can decide (laughs) when they want to receive education. Mm. And what the school has done is that they have integrated a lot of other parts of life basically Mm. into school life. So uh, kids are having lunch together, freshly cooked biological lunch that they cook themselves, of course, with supervision. But they learn about cooking. They learn about food uh, whilst they're preparing the lunch for themselves Mm -hmm. and their peers. Uh, They have a lot of other activities like dance classes, like yoga, like creative uh, classes, like music classes Mm -hmm. that are all part of the curriculum that the, the kid can choose from. But there's also time in each like in each kid's curriculum to have quiet time, to do okay. nothing, to not be scheduled oh, into wow. a certain <laughs> wow. lesson or class. Because as we all know, yeah. in order to learn, we sometimes also need to take a break. Uh, clearly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's uh, that logic has just been built yeah. into the way uh, the school does things because they have uh, chosen to have teachers available for that full duration of the day whilst in a normal school the teacher is only available between 8 30 typically and three o'clock in mm-hmm. the afternoon and then wednesday uh, afternoons are are off in dutch in dutch schools yeah. Yeah, uh, so there there is there is indeed too little time yeah and for some kids it means they are actually naturally good at math or at spelling or whatever so it means that they don't need to spend that much time on those subjects and they can spend time on other topics. Mm. Some kids actually do require much more time on one of those subjects. And that time is available because the teacher has more time than in a typical system. And then, of course, the next question is, oh, that sounds lovely, but it must be so expensive. <laughs> and that's actually the interesting part. It's not much more expensive because what typically happens uh, for Dutch kids is that they go to school until like three. And Mm. then they go to after-school care if the parents work. Mm -hmm. And after-school care is basically 
a place where there is certified, not teachers, but certified like coaches mm. that watch the kids play until they go home at or like between five and seven. But what I have done, and this of course costs money, right? Yeah, yeah. Parents pay for that. Yeah. Uh, and the government subsidizes this because mm-hmm. they want to ensure that parents can work. Yeah. And so they subsidize based on your salary uh, or based on your household income. income yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what the school has done is they say, okay, we have flexible opening hours. So we assume that that all kids take a part in our uh, after school care three days a week. This mm-hmm. costs X amount of money. That's just the uh, standard for, for all schools in the Netherlands. Subsidized based on your income. And that money, we are not spending on coaches to watch the kids play, but we are spending it on having extra teacher time. So they have certified teachers that are available between eight and six, and therefore they have much more official education time available to take care of all these subjects. I love the fact that they're already putting um, permission into the system to do nothing. Of course, when we do nothing, we're not doing nothing, are we? But, you know, not like learning actively in terms of cognition. So leaving time to think or or time not to think. Yes. (laughs) I think because that's hard, isn't it? As you come out of these systems, you just feel like you've got to be doing all the time. And now we're trying to reformat, help people reformat their own brains to say, well, I need to be as well, but we're not even, we're called human beings, but we're yeah. sort of human doings, aren't we? If we don't yeah. do a lot of being. Yeah, and we, we indeed instill that into our kids from yes. a very young age. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the need to always be busy. Yeah. To be delivering something or doing something or keeping your mind occupied. But like you say, some of the best ideas come like when you're in the shower or out yeah. on a walk or, you know, exactly. when you've got downtime for your brain. I really like, this model and even though it changes everything doesn't it it changes the structures it changes the system yeah. it changes the way of measuring it changes yeah. and the parallel can be drawn with what you and I do in organizations today around you know how do you measure yeah. a sort of flatter less hierarchical structure because today that's more collective because today all the processes and systems are designed for individual performance and, yeah. and measurement what's your biggest challenge then currently in in setting up what you're setting up yeah it's it's exactly this uh, ah, okay <laughs> what, what you just mentioned the measure the measurement mm. well two things the measurement and uh, and also the fact that the way the school does things is partly based on pilots and pilots are of course unstable because the government yeah. can at any time decide that they want to stop the pilot uh, and move back to the old ways of doing things. Right. Uh, so that's the biggest challenge, both for the school that's already there, but also for my initiative that I have to count on the pilots to continue and uh, for the government to allow me to join those pilots or right. mm. the school, right? Mm. So that's one of the, the big like bureaucratic challenges, I would mm. say. But for the bigger system, it's measurement. And the I already mentioned before that Schools are mainly measured on the throughput numbers uh, that they produce for their students into uh, levels of of secondary education. Mm. And the school is encouraging kids to follow their own trajectory and to become who they are. And not all kids are flourishing by going into a level that uh, prepares them for university. Mm. First of all, it's impossible also because in the Netherlands, our education system is actually capped at 20% of students that can go into that level that prepares them for university 
30% go into vocation or in sorry in okay. applied science mm-hmm. and 50% goes into vocational education level that's capped so even if you have a class with uh, kids that are all mm. in essence uh, ready for university still only 20% of that class can go because that's how the system works mm. so that that's a, a very big flaw that basically the school is is only looked at through the lens of okay what are your throughput numbers mm. but The other important factors like self-confidence, joy of learning, atmosphere in the classroom, how kids get along, all those things are just not measured in any school in the Netherlands. Mm. And that is where uh, the school does does so much better because kids, kids enjoy it there. They like it. They like to learn. They like to go to school. Many of the kids that, uh, that entered the school since they started 12 years ago came from regular uh, other schools mm. where they didn't like it or where things were not going well they entered the school and there they found like okay I can just follow my own path and I'm not stupid or I'm not slow yeah. or mm. and they flourish but that doesn't mean that they autom- automatically end up in university level no. secondary education yes so there is a constant battle or like discussion with people from from our ministry of education mm. talking about okay but how do we know or how do we measure if it's good yeah right and there has to be like a complete system change in order to to include other things than just cognitive uh cognitive outcomes Mm. but yeah that that's a very big challenge but i think i was going to say it depends how you quantify good you know it's like this discussion around success and you know exactly i would love to have your definition of success for your project what would success look like if i project as five years down the line yeah what does good look like for you in terms of your project? So maybe I start with my definition for success for, for people. Yes. Because I think that's tied together with the yeah. success for the project yeah. uh, in itself. So my definition for, su- for success regarding my kids, but I think I can extend that to, to how I view uh, other kids, is that I want them to learn to live life as themselves. That's, yeah. that's what I want them yes. to learn. So they, this means they have to have faith in themselves. They need to know themselves. They need to be able to learn things when they need to learn. So mm-hmm. they need to know how they best learn. Uh, they need to be resilient. And of course, this also means they means that they need to be able to live in society. And they, this means that they need to be able to provide for themselves when time comes like 20 yeah. years down the line. Yeah. But these are natural consequences of living life for me mm. these are not the main goals of education right we, we're talking about we need to prepare them for a job and we need to prepare them to contribute to society and i think like what like why should we con- prepare them to contribute they should be able to contribute by being themselves yeah yeah so, i completely agree yeah so that that's my um mm. basically my statement for success for my kids so the the success for the school would be if five years down the line from now we have been able to create a a system where there is hopefully a hundred kids and if we have more interest we just build a second uh, unit of the school hundred kids that are being basically being enabled to learn to live life as themselves fabulous that would be my measure of success excellent and it just leads so nicely into my next question which was around if we do that and that's the future, what do you think that means for the world of work? If we go from the school to the boardroom, if you like, with these skills, 
apart from the fact that we probably wouldn't have a job anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I would like that actually. Yeah, yeah. I would like that if I would like uh, for us for our kind of like profession to to not exist anymore. Mm. And mm. I, to be honest, I still think our profession will exist because Clearly. in mm. any group uh, there's always groupthink, and you always yes. need like yeah. an uh, an external. Yeah. observer yeah. Uh, to help see uh, through that yeah but what it means what it means for work of uh, world of work is i think that in general it would mean that we would have much less burnout much less people in bullshit jobs i think mm-hmm. bullshit jobs will cease to exist because there's just no one that wants to fill those <laughs> anymore right because because the kids have uh, has always have always stayed true to themselves so they know like okay this is what i want to do and this is what i mm. am good at and ultimately, it, I think it means that the world of work is going to contribute to what we as a society and mm-hmm. as a planet need mm-hmm. and not to contri- contribute to some kind of man-made economic system mm-hmm. that we are all feeling now is, is really at the end of, mm-hmm. of its yes. life. But somehow the, the world of work for, for many people is still part of that system. Yeah. And it, it to me, it feels like it's almost like two different worlds out there, right? Mm. You have kind of like human world and then you have world of work uh, with all its institutions and the economy as, as such. Mm. But I feel that if kids go through such a, uh, an education system, mm. they will work on things that are truly important for themselves, for society. And slowly, that will probably also mean that uh, this will be uh, valued more and will... Mm also then enable them to earn a living with that yeah they, they'll be coming from a place of intrinsic motivation yeah. they, as, as opposed to you know feeling that they have to do this and they have to do that in terms of what the system expects of them because for me yeah. it's you're essentially creating collective self-awareness yes <laughs> which yes. means that therefore you have a very different system and you're right clearly you always humans are what humans are and and bias exists and groupthink exists and that will always exist yeah. and I think the fact that people are aware of it yes means that you can handle that situation very differently and call on external help if you need it. But but I think knowing what you're about and being aware of, you know, it's conscious inclusion, isn't it? it it's, yeah. it's the conscious discussion around what's happening in the room. I'm really enjoying this conversation and I'm really also looking at time. It is running. So yes. w- what would your final call to action be to people who want to start thinking about changing the way their organization mm-hmm. feels and acts around trust yeah that's a big question huh? i know <laughs> i think i want to split that actually in two groups so to owners of companies or people that are, are truly in decision making uh, positions i would say have a heart to heart with yourself about the true goals of your company mm. for many people ultimately it still comes down to earn earning a lot of money Mm. And that's fine. I'm not judging that, but just be straightforward and transparent about that also towards your employees and don't sugarcoat it with talk about like development and inclusion and all these kind of things. If your <coughs> ultimate goal is to earn a lot of money for yourself, mm. that's fine. Just find people that, that are okay with that. And that also want to earn a decent amount of money uh, with mm. having a salary. That's okay. Mm. Um, but if you have truly other motives, like, wanting to be a place where people can develop, where they have fun, where they can be themselves, because there's also a lot of people that, that truly have those motives, then you have to start moving away from control 
towards trust. And mm. the first step, I think, to do that is to think about what controlling brings you. Mm. Because it's not for nothing that you use controlling mechanisms. It brings you something. Yeah. And only by knowing what it brings you, you can decide to give up. And basically for the sake of, of building a truly trust-based organization. And if you find that that's truly what you want, then you should just start your journey with reading about trust-based organizations. Mm. For example, Reinventing Organizations mm. uh, is a book that I can recommend or a Brave New Work by Aaron Dickman. Mm. But it, the first step is to truly figure out, am I willing to give up things uh, that control give me? for the sake of having a trust-based organization. So that's for the people that, that are owners or in decision-making positions. If you're an employee, I would say assess first if your current environment has the intention to be trust-based. Truly assess that because a lot of them are saying so, but are not yeah. truly yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, meaning that. If so, you're in the right place. So congratulations, that's really <laughs> a great start. But then you should also start thinking about what you can do to be trust-based because mm. it's not only about um, the organization the yeah. or the system. And what I always say is learn about accountability. Mm. What holds you back in being truly accountable? Because a trust-based system, system only works if every individual is accountable for the parts that they own. And accountability is it's not easy. It's, it's also hard work. So <laughs> do your own work and know what holds you back uh, from being accountable. Uh, and also start building trust-based relationships yourself by showing up as, as your whole self and mm. being vulnerable and uh, discussing things also outside of your work context. Just being a human uh, mm. towards other humans, that's already a big step. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> and I'm going yeah. to leave our listeners with that call to action on yeah. Show up as yourself and be human to other humans. Excellent. Yeah. Babette, can you tell me where you're up to in your roadmap when your school will be ready to receive yeah. kids and how people can get involved and find out more about what you do? Yeah, so in terms of the roadmap, uh, this is a multi-year project. Uh, I can imagine. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm dependent on the, on the government. Yeah. So the idea is that somewhere between summer 2023 and summer 2024, we, we received the first kit. So, of course, there is still a lot of like uh, milestones that we have to achieve mm -hmm. for that. But that's the goal. And where, where people can find mm -hmm. me, I think the easiest place is uh, LinkedIn, where you can find more information both about the work I do with Theory Y as well as the school. Okay. Uh, the, the school also has a website, but that's obviously in Dutch. So for the people... Okay. The Dutch listeners, uh, you can find the link uh, to the to the website also via my LinkedIn page. And for the English or the other language listeners, I'm happy to uh, to reach to chat with you if you have any more questions uh, and you're not able to read the website. Excellent. Okay, fabulous project. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts and your wisdom and your inspiration for that project with us. Thank you. Thanks so much, Susie. We hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, please head over to iTunes and give us your feedback. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation. <laughs>